so good to see you today, and we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, chapter 16. For those of you that are new, our practice has been reading through the book of Revelation together out loud uh, as we have claimed God's promise of blessing uh, in chapter 1, verse 3. For those that read this prophecy out loud and make themselves committed to hear it and to do the things that they hear and see in the prophecy. Uh, we're in another long chapter, but bear with us, and uh, we'll be reading the entirety of Revelation 16, uh, verses 1 through 21. And, and I, I keep studying this, and I keep looking for that release, you know what I mean? The, 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 the finish of it all, and we're really getting close. Uh, in fact, what happens in chapter 16 is expanded upon in chapter 17 and 18 in detail, and then if you just peek over a few chapters in chapter 19, Jesus is coming back. So we're, we're getting close, okay? I know, I know that it's been a little tense, okay? Believe me, it's been tense for me uh, working through this and preaching through this. But I hope uh, that the messages have been a help to you, a challenge to you, uh, and certainly instructive for you. But uh, together, uh, let's read Revelation 16, beginning in verse 1. Ready, begin. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirit of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. 
Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises of thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail fell from heaven upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless the reading of the word of God as you have promised. Now as we open up our hearts to absorb the truth that you've just presented to us, I pray that you will be our teacher. Lord, I pray that you will be the convictor. I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that today they would accept him before it is forever too late. Lord, help us to take heed from the bold judgments, to learn the things you'd have us to learn. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. For 400 years, the children of Israel lived in bondage in a country called Egypt. What started as a relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh quickly deteriorated into a relationship of master and slave. In fact, in the Bible, if God wanted to revert Israel's mind back to what life was like without him, he would refer to their time in Egypt. And oftentimes when God wanted to remind them of his great power and how he rescued them and delivered them and became his people, he would refer back to the Passover, which was the 10th plague of the 10, and of course the crossing of the Red Sea that took place just after their deliverance. Egypt and Israel's relationship to Egypt was a really, really big deal. And you may ask yourself the question, why would anyone ever want to go back to Egypt? The land of slavery and bondage, the land of destruction and evil. It was a place where a cruel master mistreated them, stole their children and destroyed their families. And yet, on several occasions, not too far after the children of Israel were delivered from Egyptian bondage, did they actually request that God would send them back? Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us? To bring us up out of Egypt. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
Just a few chapters later in Exodus 16, verse 2, the Bible says, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that, they ha- that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. Later on in the book of Numbers, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. And the children of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melon, the leeks, and the garlic. And now our whole congregation is dried up because all we have to eat is this manna. How sad, right? How sad that someone would crave to go back to bondage, to addiction, to sin and to destruction, yet that's where we find the children of Israel all throughout the book of Exodus through Numbers. They're just complaining and wanting to go back. I don't know about you, but uh, I have been delivered from my sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have no interest in going back to where I was before I got saved, to go back into the bondage that held me back and trapped me in sin. I have no interest in, as, as, as maybe nice as some of the luxuries could have been in Egypt, there is no place for the child of God in Egypt. And yet, one day, at the end of the tribulation period, we're going to find people are going to go back to Egypt. But they're not going to want to go back to Egypt. They're not going to crave to go back to Egypt. They are going to be coerced into returning to Egypt at the will of God. Now, when I read through here just a moment ago, you may have picked up on a few references that seemed like we were talking about the ten plagues back in Egypt. The waters turned into blood and frogs coming out of the river and and a darkness over uh, the area of Babylon. These are pictures of what took place back in the ten plagues. And the bottom line is this. There is a lot of similarity between Revelation chapter 16 and Exodus chapters 5 through 14. The 10 plagues that came to Egypt are 10 plagues essentially that are going to return one day to this earth in the final judgments of God in the tribulation period. And you see something very similar. You see real, dynamic, and intense plagues that are going to be poured out on this earth just like they were poured out on Egypt. You're going to see the very obstinate nature of man's heart as they turn their back against what what should be the obvious signs of God. But unfortunately, at this point in human history, there will be no repentance. There will be no turning away from sin. There will be no sacrifice. There will be no accepting Jesus. I mean, at this time, at the very end of the end of the end of the tribulation, this is literally going to be God pouring out his final judgment and wrath upon this world that has been building since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. So I want to take this and look at it from two parts, okay? I, I'm going to do this a little different. I haven't done this every, every time, but I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to share with you, first of all, the nature of the judgments. I want to kind of walk through these and, and, and show you what's going to happen. And then I want to uh, end the message with some application for us today. So let's just Step back here and let's take a look at the nature of these judgments. Let me give you four statements about these judgments this morning. What are we seeing in Revelation chapter number 16? Well, first of all, we are seeing the climax of God's judgment on the earth during the Great Tribulation period. Now, remember, uh, chapter 4 through 19 of the book of Revelation is about the coming judgment that we call the Tribulation period. And I realize... 
We've been laboring through this swamp for quite a few number of weeks, okay? We've been preaching this series since back in August. And I, and I realized as we go week by week by week through this, it will be very easy for you to lose focus on what happens. But remember, the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period of time that is yet to take place in the future, is a time where God is going to judge the earth for their sins and judge Israel for his rebellion, so it's going to be seven literal years as described in Daniel chapter number 9, verses 24 through 27. Remember, halfway through the tribulation period, the tribulation is going to intensify because Antichrist is going to be revealed, as we saw in chapters 11, 12, and 13. Antichrist is going to then uh, demand worship, and many people are going to follow him. So in the very last half of the tribulation, which is uh, beginning really in chapter number 13, you're going to see the judgment of God ramp up. We started with seven seals at the beginning of the tribulation. We saw then seven uh, 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 trumpets essentially in the middle of the tribulation. And now in one chapter, we are seeing the, the seal, or excuse me, the bold judgments all being poured out in succession. So number one, they are, a, they are the climax of God's judgment on the earth during the great tribulation. Number two, they occur, these, these judgments here, occur just before the return of Christ and the battle of Armageddon and the millennial reign. Like I said before I started reading, we are getting very close to the resolve of this whole thing. Remember, the title of this series is Jesus Wins. And this is like kind of the last big explosive moment of judgment before Jesus jumps on that white horse and returns down and wipes out this earth of his enemies and the battle of Armageddon, sets up his millennial reign and creates a new heaven and a new earth. Man, I got to tell you, every week I've been preaching through this, I'm like, I wish I could just skip and get to chapter 19 and get to chapter 20 where it all resolves good and well. But listen very carefully. As you may know, before you're going to get good news, you need to know the bad news. And the bad news is this. Those without Jesus Christ have a certain judgment and doom in their future. And folks, listen, this entire book is us learning about how intense God's judgments actually are, which leads me to the third statement. The third statement is this. Unlike the seal and trumpet judgments that we learned about beginning in chapter number 6, these bold judgments occur in swift succession in the same chapter. I mean, man, it was just like one right after the other. They occur swiftly. They occur in quick succession. Now remember, in chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see two elements of the, of the bold judgments unpacked. We're going to learn about the false religious system. We're going to learn about the fall of Babylon. All of that takes place really in chapter 16 but then God saw fit to explain it even further in chapter 17 and 18. So you're going to have the fall of Babylon, and you're going, to have the, you're going to have the exposure of the harlot or the false religious system. Remember this. In the tribulation period, there will be a, the, 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 the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're all mentioned in chapter 16. They rule in a domain called Babylon. And they rule under a false religious system. You say, how do you know what a false religious system? Well, it's really simple. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's the only way to heaven? If the answer is yes, then you're on the right path. If the answer is no, you're on the wrong path, okay? So any religious system 
that doesn't teach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God the Son, and is the only way to heaven is a false system of faith, and it will dominate the world at the end of time. And then guess what? God's going to crush it all out in chapter 17 next week where we'll learn about that. The fourth thing I want you to see is this. There are two spheres of judgment in chapter 16. Now, in the first four judgments that are mentioned in verses really 1 through 9, we see God pouring out his judgment on what we would call the natural domain. You see the, the sun touch. You see uh, the, the rivers, both salt and fresh water, turn into blood. Uh, you, see, you see the sore coming on the bodies of mankind. So that's the first sphere. The first sphere of judgments at the end of time happened directly against man. Then the, the bowl numbers six, five, six, and seven all occur against the sphere of the beast or the Antichrist. So one is affecting man. The other set is affecting the sphere of Antichrist or his dominion, if you will. So let me walk through these really quick with you, and then we'll get to our application, okay? What are these bowls, and how do they resemble Egypt, and what do people get to look forward to one day at the end of the tribulation period? Number one, I want you to see the first bowl is the, is the severe and painful sores described in verse number two. He says this, a foul and loathsome sore came upon all men, reminding us of what takes place in Exodus chapter nine, verses eight and nine. When God saw fit to bring, bring, bring a plague of boils on the skin of men in the land of Egypt. Exodus again 9 verses 8 and 9. So the first thing God does is he puts a painful and treacherous sore on the bodies of people. Remember back to what happened with Job? Job's family was destroyed. But what was the second thing God allowed to happen to him? His body to be inflicted with pain. Folks, I'm here to tell you, when people are inflicted with sickness and pain and illness and extreme uh, 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 trouble in their body, it is a quick opportunity for people to either turn from God or turn to God. And this is not a moment, as I'll look at here in just a minute, where people are turning to God. In fact, everything that keeps happening, they keep turning away from God, which allows me to bring up a really interesting question to maybe somebody here listening to me preach this morning. The trouble that you've been facing... Illnesses that have been happening, difficulty that's going on in your life, stress, pressure, challenges, brokenness, sorrow, sickness, whatever it is, are you letting it push you to God or are you allowing it to draw you away from God? There's only two directions you're going to go when you are suffering in this life. You're either going to him or you are going from him. The second bowl is, is, is found in verse number three, and that is salt water is turned into blood, which also leads me quickly to bowl number three, which is fresh water turned into blood, verses three and verse four. And I want to point out something very interesting at the end of verse number three. And every living creature in, in the sea died. Now, folks, what is God doing here now? He's shutting down not only the health of man, but he's now shutting down the source of life for men, the food and the water sources. Folks, these people aren't going to live very long without food and water sources. And God allows every single piece of water, whether it is salt water or fresh water, to be turned into blood just exactly like he did in Exodus chapter 17 or 7 verses 17 and 18 when he turned the Nile River into blood. Folks, you talk about catastrophic. 
Catastrophic is not even a good word to describe it. I don't even know if there's a good word in the English language to describe what's going to happen when the entire sea, I mean, can you imagine 75% of the earth's surface covered in water is going to be turned into blood. Every food that you would eat from the sea is gone. Fresh water is gone. How long can man even live without fresh water? Not very long. Folks, what is God doing? He is choking out everything that man trusts in. His health, his physical supplies. And then, boy, I tell you what, he takes it a step further. Bowl number four. In bowl number four, men are scorched by the sun. Look at verse eight and nine. It says, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the earth and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Now, there's some debate about what happens here. I like the explanation I heard best. I believe it was by, uh, by Paige Patterson said, what happens here is that the sun is turned into a curse. Now, folks, you realize right now, normally, the sun is a blessing, isn't it? I mean, the sun provides light. It provides um, uh, strength and allows things to grow. But here, an angel is going to pour out a bowl of wrath on the sun, and the sun is no longer going to be a fountain of blessing. It's going to be a fountain of cursing. And from the sun, men are no longer going to be nourished and given the vitamin D that comes from the sun. Literally, the sun is going to turn into a curse, and it is going to be poured out as a curse that will burn the sun. Can you imagine? You can't eat. You cannot drink. You've got boils all over your skin, and now you can't go outside because if the sun touches you, your skin is going to fry. Folks, this is nuts. Now, that's what happens to man. If you're going to be alive during the tribulation period because you've rejected Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm telling you, you're going back to Egypt, you're going back to the plagues, and that's just what God does to, the, to nature, to, to us, to our bodies, and to our ecosystems, etc. Then bowls 5, 6, and 7 turn, and, and, and we see God curse the beast's domain. So let me walk you through these real quick. Bowl number 5 is that darkness comes on the throne of the beast, verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Remember, the beast here is the Antichrist. You can go back to Revelation 13 and see that. The beast has a sphere, a domain. He rules from Babylon, this world eclectic system of government, religion, and monetary, uh, monetary means. And now, what's going to happen? God is going to allow there to be darkness on that entire system. Now, there are so many ways we could look at this. We know they've already got pain. Whether the pain is intensified because the light here could be the extinction of electronic means. Some have suggested that. Can you imagine right now if God just snuffed out all electricity, shut down the internet? Can you imagine what would happen in hospitals? Could you imagine what would happen on Interstate 95? If literally every single electronic device, every GPS, every uh, uh, Wi-Fi, all cellular networks go dark in a moment, and it's a, people will go nuts. Literally, God comes in, and in one swift act, completely deconstructs the entire throne and dominion of the Antichrist. I got to tell you, I am glad to be on the side of the guy who can turn it off and on just like that, aren't you? Lord, have mercy. Then we go further into this dominion. The, the, the next thing that happens in bowl number six is the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Look, if you will, at verse number 12. 
The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters dried up. Watch this. So that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now, you could study Euphrates through the Bible. It's mentioned uh, quite a bit. It's referred to in the Old Testament simply as the river with a capital R. It formed the natural eastern border uh, of, of Israel's settlement, according to the book of Joshua. Uh, when the children of Israel were deported over into Babylon and Assyria, they were, lived across the river. I think it was uh, Psalm 139, maybe, or Psalm 138 says, when we sat by the river, looking back to the west, longing for our home, wishing we were there. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about being over on the other side of the Euphrates. Remember in Daniel chapter 5, when the Persians destroyed the Babylonians, what did they do? They stopped up the Euphrates River and circumvented its waters and entered in under the gates of the city. I mean, this was a significant river in the Bible. What does it do? It represents, of course, the barrier between the kings of the east and Israel. What's God doing here? God, first of all, is going to dry up the river. Why? He tells us why. Because he's going to allow free access from the armies of the east to gather together and come into Israel for what? For the battle of Armageddon, friend. Listen, do you not think for a minute God is in control of all this? Who let the armies gather together? God. Who gave them the pathway to get there? God. Who's going to pull his sword out of his mouth in Revelation 19 and wipe them all out in one swipe? God. Folks, never forget this. From beginning to end, story to story, chapter to chapter of the book of Revelation, the beast is not in control. The Lord Jesus Christ is in control. So then the Bible says from the Euphrates, this is another really interesting piece, the spirit comes up through frogs. Now, that's kind of weird. But there were frogs in Egypt. Remember that? It was part of the, part of the plague, part of the curse. Now, I don't know if these are literal frogs. I don't know if they're spiritual frogs. I, see, I, I tend to think that this is, a, this is a metaphor because it talks about out of, the, out of the frogs came the three spirits, the spirit of the beast, the spirit of the dragon, and the spirit of the false prophet. So, so whatever this is, God allows the message of the, the false prophet, the message of the devil, and the message of the Antichrist to be put out spiritually into the hearts of men. And what does it do? It stirs up armies. It stirs up God's enemies. And now they're going to gather together in Armageddon actually thinking they're going to beat Jesus. Now, we're not even going to look at that any further because we're going to get there in chapter number 19. So you're just going to have to like pin that up and wait three more weeks, okay? But that's what happens there. Let me tell you, let me tell you. Here, bottom line, Jesus wins. That's the bottom line. And that leads me to the seventh plague. Remember, the first four are on people and the ecosystems, the sun and the waters. The last three are on the beast and his, quote-unquote, ecosystem. His throne has lost its power, its darkness, it's encompassed with darkness. Secondly, the river is dried up and the spirit of these frogs puts it into the heart of people to go to Armageddon to battle the Lord. And then bowl number seven, the final bowl, verses 17 through 21, is very simply this, and I'm not going to describe it for sake of time. It is Babylon being destroyed. Now, Babylon is going to go down in Revelation chapter number 18. In other words, God is going to allow us to see it in detail. Come back in two Sundays for that one, okay? But, but, but he says here, in summary, all this stuff is happening, and what's the climax? What is the climax of the bold judgments? Here's the climax. God comes in. He destroys Babylon. He destroys the devil. 
Y'all didn't hear what I just said. He destroys the devil. How many of you about tired of him destroying you, your family, your testimony, your mental health, trying to step in your business all the time and undo what God's trying to do? And how many of y'all looking forward to a time where he's going to be banished back to hell where he came from? That's all coming. You come back in two weeks. We'll look at that. But in summary form here in chapter 16, God is showing it in a quick, succinct Moment by moment, line on line, I mean, boom, 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 like Mike Tyson just wrecked you in round one. For all you young people, just ask your parents later, okay? (laughs) Just bang, 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 done. And that's the way it's going to go down. Now, I want to take all that, and I want to secondly see lessons from the bold judgments. Okay, that's what happens. And this is what's going to happen right before Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on this earth. As we look through Revelation chapter 16, we've got to ask ourselves this question, what are we supposed to be learning from this? And I want to give you four statements this morning before we're done. Number one, I want you to see this. The judgments of God are righteous. The first thing that you see in response to what happens is back in verse number five. I heard the angel of the water saying, you are righteous, O Lord. The one who is and who was and who is to be speaking of the fact that God encompasses history. Can I say this? The judge of the earth will do what is right. And the judge of the earth, according to verse six, is going to ultimately avenge Every single person that has been mistreated in the name of religion and because they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Every single martyr, every single person that's been, uh, that's been harmed in any way because of their faith, God's righteousness is going to avenge that one day. Man, I got to tell you, I am so glad to know that even though on this earth that our court systems mess up and do not get things right all the time and guilty people sometimes walk free. I'm glad to know when it's all said and done, God is going to right every single wrong that's ever been done. Because his judgments are righteous. Number two, listen please very carefully, it's very important. Men deserve judgment. I want you to lock onto this little phrase at the end of verse six. Look at this. For it is their just due. Interestingly enough, there's another verse that I thought tied into this really well. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now, listen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful in what? To forgive us our sins. Because there's people out here that go, wait a second. How could you really, you really mean that? I mean, you know, unfortunately, our kids are growing up in a world where both in terms of school and friends and social media, internet, every other possible influence on them is telling them everything that is certainly not found anywhere in the Bible. Things like the inherent goodness of man. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the inherent sinful nature of man. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible goes even further. It says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good 
thing. Folks, there is none that does good, no, not one. Please listen very carefully. If you were looking for a psychology lesson, came to the wrong place today. You might go to some couch and they might try to draw out your inherent goodness to try to make you feel good about yourself, whatever. I'm here to tell you one thing that I know for sure. Man is a sinner. Man's sin has separated him from God and it will be just. It would be just if God allowed a person to be sent into eternity without him forever in a place called hell. That's hard to swallow. And you say, how in the world could God possibly be right and fair and just to do that? Well, that's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Just. So what the point, the point that he is making is simply this. He's making the point that I'm going to commit justice one way or the other. It will be just if I allow you to go to hell because you've sinned against me. However, I have another path of justice. My son... Dying in your place for your sins on Calvary 2,000 years ago and rising from the dead the third day uh, for your sins. If you will put your faith and trust in him, I will justly acquit you for your crimes. Not on your behalf because you've done nothing to be acquitted for. But on the back of Jesus Christ, the sinless one that gave his life and is the only one that can forgive us of our sin. But make no mistake about it. If you die and go to hell, friend, listen to me very carefully. You deserve it. It will not be because God didn't love you. It will not be because Jesus didn't die for you. It will not be because mercy does not flow free today. It will not be because he didn't give you an opportunity like March the 3rd, 2024, at River City Baptist Church at a 10 o'clock service on a Sunday morning where the gospel was preached and judgment was revealed and you decided that you didn't want to follow Jesus. God is not unjust. So number one, God's judgments are righteous. Number two, man deserves judgment. I'm going to give you these these next two together because I think they fit together, but you should repent while you can, knowing that if you don't, you will harden your heart. What is the real story here as it relates to man and his condition? The real story here is this. As intense as this judgment gets, they don't listen to God. They don't want God. They reject God. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy the depths to which some people will go to reject God? I think in Luke chapter number 16 when, when Lazarus, uh, 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 the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man goes to hell. Think about this. The rich man goes to hell. I believe it's a real story. There's real names. It's, very, it's, not a, it's not just a normal parable. It's a real story, I believe. Lazarus' name. The rich man's not named. He goes to hell. The Bible says he lifts up his eyes in torments and he cries out to Father Abraham, leading me to believe that he was religious. He knew who Abraham was. And he says, please, if I can't be removed from this terrible place, please send someone to tell my brothers like he, he I don't want my family to go to hell but then what is what does Abraham respond and say hey they have Moses and the prophets and if they will not believe Moses and the prophets they will not believe the one raised from 
the dead. Folks, listen, I'm telling you right now, if your heart is hard against God, I could have somebody walk through the back doors of this church right now with the stench of sulfur and the smell of smoke all over their bodies, and they could stand up here and tell you, I just spent 30 minutes in hell. You don't want to go there. And I would tell you, that would not convince you. Because if the Bible will not convince you, nothing will ever convince you. Folks, if the Holy Spirit of God is knocking on your heart's door, let Jesus in. Let him in. You know what's sad about this story? When you go back to chapter 15, verse 8, real quick, I'm almost done. You go back to chapter 15, verse 8. When God is telling us, God is showing us, this, we just learned this last week, when God's showing us in heaven the, the, what's getting ready to happen, right? Remember the last thing I said last week? No, you don't, but, but let me just review, okay? Last thing, I said, last thing I said last week is the righteousness of God is, is, is the certainty of the judgment. And remember, he talks about how these bowls are coming out of the temple. Remember that? And, and so out of, the, out of the testimony, the tabernacle, the testimony, surely that was good, y'all. Surely you remember that. And so what? the judgments come out of the temple. In the temple, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ark. In the ark is the testimony of God. What is God telling us? He's telling us the judgments all come from the word of God. Now watch this. But look at this. Interesting. Verse 8, back to chapter 15. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues and the seven angels were completed. Nobody's going to that temple during this judgment. No one can interfere. No one can enter into the presence of God in the temple during these judgments. Watch this. There's no mercy seat. There's no sacrifice. Because at this point, man has so not listened to God that now, watch this, now they can't listen to God. Let me tell you the tragedy of the day we live in today. The day we live in today, the message is free. The message is out there, and you can receive it today. But can you imagine living in a day where you cannot get to the message, and even if you heard it, you wouldn't believe it if you could? Because you're under the judgment of God. In 19... 86, Queen Elizabeth had visited Sydney, Australia for the 16th time at the celebration of the renovation of the Queen Victoria building in Sydney, which was dedicated to her great-great-grandmother, the previous Queen of England. 1986, Queen Elizabeth goes, and in celebration of this historic rebuilding of this monumental facility. She wrote a letter. To my lord, the prince, the mayor of Sydney, Australia. To be opened on any day, year 2085. There is a letter behind glass in Sydney, inaccessible, unreadable, and according to historians, not even her closest associates read the letter. She hand wrote the letter for the mayor, and nobody else read the letter, and nobody else 
can read the letter till 2085. By the time they open that seal and open that letter in 2085, that letter will be 100 years old. Can you imagine having a letter from God that you cannot access, that is sealed off in judgment because by this time you have so rejected the gospel that you will no longer be hearing the gospel. That is why now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Friend, if you have not been born again, if you do not know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, I'm telling you right here, right now, open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ into your life right now. You don't want to get to this day when every sign in the world will be pointing you to God, but you can't get to God. Friend, he showed you up here on this day so his word could be freely spoken and his spirit could clearly work in your heart and you would receive the message now. But do not put off till tomorrow what would be uncertain for tomorrow, but is very certain for right here. Let's pray. You're going to see today a living picture of people who've recently accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. I hope and pray you have. I hope that's your testimony. If not, I'm inviting you right here, right now, just right where you are, right now. If you've not accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right here, right now, would you, right now, today, open up your heart and accept him into your life right now? Some of you have been putting this off for a long time. Some of you listen, but, but you just yourself have not trusted Christ. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts like they did in the day of provocation. Today, will you call upon the name of the Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, accept him, believe upon him right here and right now. Right there in your seat, you can just call upon the name of the Lord. That's the prescription, Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13. Call upon the Lord. Believe on him. Accept him. You can right now just open up your heart and say, Dear Jesus, just go ahead right now. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Christ. I believe he died for me and rose again. Today, I accept him as my savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. How many of you would say, preacher, thank you for the message today. I just want you to know that just now, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Just now. I'm so glad that I did. I'm glad to know that he was willing to save me. And today, before it was too late, I wanted to ask him to be my Savior, and I did that. How many of you would say, preacher, I did that today. Just, just pray. Just ask Jesus to be my Savior. Would you lift up your hand up high enough that I could see it so I can pray for you? Is there anybody like that at all? Just lift your hand right up. 
Then you can lower it right back down. Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. So glad that I did. Pray for me. Pray for me. God bless your heart.